Once again, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I'm glad you've come to worship Christ along with us. A couple of, uh, just quick reminders. I want to remind you next Sunday about the anniversary party. I hope that everyone will come and join us at one o'clock over at the Pickerington Nazarene building. Uh, they have a great outdoor pavilion and uh, playground for the kids, so please come. Uh, it'd be a great celebration with food and all the fun, and we're hoping to get uh, like a food truck over there, ice cream truck or a snow cone truck or something like that. So that'll be a good time as well. I also want to remind you about the Connect cards that are there in front of you. Please fill those out. A couple of weeks ago, we had a great response, better than we've ever done. So please, let's uh, keep doing that. Uh, that's, that's for members, visitors, regular attenders, really everyone uh, to fill those out. They're right there in front of you in the pews. You can drop them in the collection baskets up here on stage or over there in the black box by the resource wall. As well, that resource wall, all of those books are free. We want you to take those books and use them as they're a great uh, resource to help us understand what's uh, given to us in Scripture. So please uh, don't be shy. Take those books home. The only thing we ask is that you read it. Um, I'm grateful for that. Um, let me pray for us, and we'll, uh, we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us on, uh, on a daily basis through your word. I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the truth you have for us today. And Lord, transform us as you challenge us and uh, give us great faith to follow after you. We're so grateful, Lord, for the church. Thank you for Maranatha and who you've made us in to be. And uh, I, pr- I pray, Lord, that we, uh, we honor you in this time as we worship you. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right. So today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So if you would, please go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. There's a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, you feel free to take that home if you don't have one of your own. But before we begin, I actually want to talk to you about something that happened in the past. All right? Um, I want to share with you something that happened in the past. The time or the season was early fall, just like it is now. And uh, in fact, it was a Friday near the beginning of September, and the year was 2022 when I woke up on the absolute wrong side of the bed. All right, this past Friday, I woke up just in a sour mood. Uh, I I was grumpy. Uh, I realized that I was feeling sorry for myself for some uh, rhyme or reason, but as I was laying there, what was running through my mind was that I had to get up and write this sermon. I just wasn't in the mood to do that. So again, as I laid there and prayed, the Lord brought something sort of strange to my mind. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm a big video game player, but what the Lord brought to mind was this image of the moment that happens at the beginning of some games when you have to choose your character to go on this sort of campaign that you are going to set out on. You have to choose who you're going to be. And this is relatively important because each character has different traits as each character will allow you to accomplish that campaign, which you're about to set on in different ways. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this, um, the reason why I'm telling you about my struggle Friday morning was because that morning I felt God really as I was praying, leading me into understanding as I attempted to muster up the courage to face the day that I shouldn't be trying to choose how I'm going to go and be my best self. I shouldn't try to uh, uh, really be evaluating which of my best or worst character traits am I going to enlist for that day's uh, campaign, if you will. Rather, I should be choosing and entrusting myself to what Christ's character is by going and doing what he would do in this life, in this, in this world, right? Amen. 
So I was, just, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself, but I was hearing him lead me that I should be choosing Christ's character and not my own. Now, that did get me out of bed. Obviously, the sermon is written. Uh, it got me out of bed, but it's also, in fact, what Peter is speaking to in our passage today. Not the video games, but he's talking to us about the call on our lives to live like Christ, even when we're faced with varying levels of difficulty in this world. All right? So let's go ahead and read our passage for the day. Like I said, it's going to be 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And if you would, please, if you're able, stand with me in reverence for God as I read his word aloud. This is what chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing, the, for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Let me pray for us again. Father, we're grateful for your word once again. We're grateful, Lord, that you do speak to us through it. And Lord, that you are the one who gives us wisdom and insight and discernment and clarity on how to live this life. So Lord, I pray that as we try to digest this here and as we come under the preaching of your word, Lord, that you do continually sanctify us. Lord, I know that you will as you promised to do so and transform us into the likeness of your son. And as we are the church and gathered together as one body, Lord, I pray that we see the benefit of being with and for one another. Thank you for this time. We trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Again, in the power of your spirit, amen. amen. Now, as we've been talking about, as we've been walking through this letter of 1 Peter, this passage comes after many exhortations to the churches that have been displaced from their homes and their country, right? We know this. We've been talking about this. These are many exhortations that come to these people who have been displaced. And Peter has been attempting to inform them on how they are to live in the midst of these lands which are not their home, right? They are foreigners. They are sojourners and exiles in the places that they now dwell. So he's trying to tell them just how is it that we should interact with and submit to the governing authorities that have been instituted by God, but still might not all be following his law? How is it that our marriages are meant to proclaim our submissiveness to God, as well as prove his willingness to sacrifice himself for the church, who is his bride? How should we then seek to, to suffer well, even if we are treated unjustly, knowing that the one true judge is always just? And how is it that the way that we live, we as the church, the way that we live 
preaches the truth about God, both about His wrath and His mercy, which comes to us in Jesus, who is the Christ. And while we're meant to digest all of this, we learn today that we are then to choose to not be like the world around us, but to be like Christ. So with all of that exhortation, the summation is to choose to be like Christ and not like the world. We are to die to our own flesh as we are witnesses. We are, in fact, testimonies of Christ for His glory, pointing to His dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what he says. Amen. So let me break it down for us in four parts, and this is what we're going to see today in this passage. Number one, Christ resisted sin, so we must do the same, verses one and two. The second, our life is a testimony of Him, verses three through five. Number three, even if we are persecuted, we must remain faithful, verses 6 through 7. And then above all, we are to love and serve one another, verses 8 through 11. Now, as it makes sense, we're just going to begin at the beginning. So let me reread verses 1 and 2 to refresh our memory. This is what it says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, right off the bat, Peter is equating this sort of behavior that he is exhorting us towards by centering our focus on Christ. Right off the bat, he's pointing us to the true and one direction that we should be facing, and that is towards Christ. Look at verse 1. He says, since therefore, another way to say that is because Christ suffered in the flesh, we are to have a response that is similar to his, all right? And that response, Peter tells us, is to arm ourselves with something, right? To, To put something on, to arm ourselves. Now, that makes me think of, and hopefully you as well, or maybe you as well, it makes me think of Paul's command in Ephesians 6, where he tells the church to put on the whole armor of God, right? But Paul's encouragement there, Paul's encouragement there in Ephesians 6 isn't meant to be some sort of special prayer that, we, uh, that would uh, supernaturally protect us from the evils of, those, of the world, as if it's some sort of unique incantation that we can just proclaim and then we won't face any sort of trials. It's not meant to be a special prayer that supernaturally protects us. Rather, it's a picture for us to remember God's good attributes and His righteous promises, which are fulfilled for us through His strength and might. Are you with me? This is about Christ. This is not about us. This is about Christ. You see, we don't actually arm ourselves. We don't, in fact, put anything on ourselves. We are armed by Christ as we put on Christ to become like Christ because He is now our way of life. Are you with me? And if we can understand that, if we can understand what Paul is getting at, it will help us comprehend what Peter means when he says that whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That's a challenging passage. That can feel like a condemning verse, that those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. Not a one of us has ceased from sin. You see, Peter here is connecting, though, his words to something that he's already said. 
We need to remember that this is a letter, right? We need to remember that this is a letter. Therefore, it was expected to be read in the way that a letter would normally be heard. The receivers of this letter wouldn't have stretched it out week after week over a span of time like we do as we try to preach through it. Therefore, when Peter says what he says, when he said, uh, essentially, you who suffer like Christ, remember, you don't belong to sin, they would have very easily connected it to something that Peter has already said in the letter. All right, because they would have had it moments later. Either they would have connected it to what he said back in chapter 2, verse 24. This is what that says. Peter said earlier, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He bore our sins, that is Christ. Christ bore our sins. Therefore, those of us who are believers should desire not to sin. We should desire not to sin because we have died like Christ and we are now, again, alive in Him. You see, in order to get this, or or rather when you get this, you then possess, you can grasp hold of this joy, this hope that Peter is talking about through this entire letter that tells us, that reminds us, that proclaims to us that we are no longer enslaved to our human passions. We are no longer enslaved to our sin. That is how we've been set free from them. You understand? It's the way that we cease to sin. We live in the way that proclaims God's righteousness, which is God's will. We live in that way rather than living to our human passions because Jesus suffered and died for us and armed us with his righteousness. All right? He is the one who puts it on us. Our shackles, therefore, this is the great amazing gift. Our shackles then, therefore, our shackles of sin and death have been removed. They've been cast off from our wrists as we have been liberated by Christ. So why would anyone willingly then walk back into that prison of darkness? If that's true of us, why do we willingly walk back into that prison of darkness? Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, and they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now again, since this is a real letter, it had to have then been written to real people. Therefore, we can logically deduce That these people in these dispersed churches, remember they've been cast out of their land, cast out of their homes. These dispersed churches and people eventually had to choose a place to settle down. They eventually had to choose a place to raise their families and live their lives. So we can assume that something was appealing about the place that they ended up sort of homesteading in, right? Something had to be appealing to them, whatever place they decided to call home. And then likely, just as it is for us today, that place would then seek to disciple them in the ways of life and happiness, which that world would follow after. You see, it's just like us. The context and culture that we, wherever we place ourselves in, it is discipling us to believe what brings satisfaction, to help us believe what is hopeful and uh, security and peace and comfort. Whatever context you place yourself in, you are being discipled in a particular direction, 
into a particular belief. But Peter's exhortation for them and in turn for us was to stop all that was to stop listening to all of that, stop following after all of that. After all, they and we are now dead to sin. They are dead to sin because we belong to Jesus, who is the Christ, so we weren't to live. They weren't lived to live in what the world saw as satisfying. They weren't to live for what the world saw as satisfying. You see, what we have in Christ, the promises of the gospel, what we have in Christ is eternal. When what the world possesses, What the world desires will forever be temporary. What we have is eternal. What the world has and what it can promise was only temporary. The world lives to indulge in their own passions, which we know, which we've experienced, changes direction with a literal heartbeat. At this moment, I love and affirm this thing, but the very next moment, I love and affirm this thing. The world lives to indulge its passions. The world lives with spiritual blindness which fools them into thinking that their sensual desires are there to please others when in fact their evil indulgences are only attempts to satisfy their own immorality. When the world indulges in the things to satisfy their soul, they're attempting to satisfy guilt of the longing that has been produced by their own debauchery. Now, as we must still, like the people that Peter is talking about, as we must still live as part of this world, as we then no longer indulge in what the world desires, when we don't affirm or participate in what is unrighteous, the world will always take notice. As we live for Christ, the world does take notice. For those who Peter is writing to, as well as for us today, he knew that as we choose right conduct over debauchery, we will stand out as witnesses. We will stand out as a testimony. In fact, we will stand out as an open rebuke to everyone, even to the people who may claim to still be our friendships. We stand as an open rebuke to their heart, their attitude and actions based in righteousness over their debauchery. And Maranatha, we can be honest, that's what makes this decision hard. That's what makes these choices hard for us. Because we come up against people that we care about. But who are we to fear, God or man? Who are we to fear, God or man? And Peter isn't shy. Therefore, we don't have to either. Peter is not shy about this likely outcome You may be made fun of. You may be made to look foolish. People may tell lies about you to destroy your reputation. Uh, You may be fired from your job. You may lose friends. You may lose relationships, possibly even connection with family members. You might, that might happen as you stand with Christ in resisting temptation while you cease to indulge in the past sinfulness of your life. But the expectation is nothing less than righteousness. The expectation is nothing less than perfection in Christ. But in that, when we feel 
the weight of guilt on our shoulders, what we can remember and trust in is that everyone will give an account to him who judges the living and the dead. And we either stand in Christ's merit and righteousness or our own. And praise God that we can find life in him. Verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The people who first read this letter most likely had friends and family members who were martyred like Stephen was in the book of Acts. It was very likely that as they were cast out of their home to homeland, that people were killed, that people were murdered for their faith in Christ as they stood up against the world. Therefore, what Peter is suggesting was that this good news that we preach today, that we have been given, that has been passed down from generations, must be preached even today. It must be preached to them and it must be preached to us today. And in fact, not just preached, but known so that every true believer can face any such persecution without wavering in faithfulness, even to the point of death. And we don't always understand the weight of that statement, even to the point of death, but there are Christians in this world that do. And I can't promise that one day you won't also have to face that decision, but that is why the gospel must be preached because the Christian has nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear, because even if the world judges our actions according to the standards of itself, we know that we are now alive and are living in the way through the power of the Holy Spirit, which raised Jesus Christ from the dead that now dwells in us just as it did for him. Just as he followed after that same power, we follow in that same understanding meaning that we are not bound by a potentially unjust law of the land. Rather, we get to live in the freedom of God's will. Yes, we live here, but we live in the freedom of God's will. Now, what I'm talking about here is, yes, physical death. Also, this recognition of spiritual death. But if we're going to be honest, the thing that we are most afraid of is social death. The thing that every one of us is the most afraid of today is being unpopular. Every one of us is uh, the most fear that we have comes around the desire to be liked by the people around us, whether that be at our job or our family or unbelievers or even other members in this church. Our greatest fear is a social kind of death. So at times, we fall to our flesh when instead we should stand with Christ in his victory. Again, that is the standard, Christ's righteousness. And Maranatha, I I, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this because I expect you to likely need this as I must remind myself of this all the time. We are commanded to follow the truth and proclaim that truth, which has been gifted to us through God's word, by responsibility, for a purpose. And that responsibility has little to do with how we are received by those who hear and see it. Yes, of course, there's a way to do this with love, but our responsibility has little to do 
with how it is received or how we are being received. Our job is faithfulness, and it is His job to judge the living and the dead. All right? Therefore, look at verse 8, Therefore, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another about, without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What we're being called to is to love God above everything else in this world without expectation, or rather without exception. We're to love God above everything else in this world without exception. But second, we are to follow what is called in James 2, the royal law. We are to follow after the royal law, which is to love one another as we do ourselves. Now, this is called the royal law, obviously not because it's for kings and queens or people of nobility. Rather, it's royal because it's a decree from the king of kings. It's royal because it's a decree from the Lord of lords, that is, Jesus Christ himself. It's a kind of law of love that uses what we have, whether that be resources or opportunities or uh, spiritual gifts, for the edification and benefit of another person of the one another's of the church, of those who are part of the household of faith. And Peter then proclaims it is there as a way to cover sin as we care for the one another's. This royal law of love, the way we interact with one another, is a type of love, a kind of care that covers sin while we care for one another. Now here Peter is quoting Proverbs 12. There it reads, "...hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses." We can see there sort of the delineation of the world and uh, the way of Christ. Christian love is the exact opposite of worldly love. Worldly love masquerades as being motivated by the needs of others, when in fact, as I've already said, it is ultimately always self-serving. Christian love, on the other hand, can be recognized when someone is willing to give away themselves, to give away material assets, to lay down their reputation, their willingness to be heard, and again, maybe even their life for another. And that's the kind of love that's modeled by Christ. That's the kind of Christian love that we are to follow after and submit to as the royal law, as it's a kind of otherworldly law that seeks to cover up sin. Now hear me, not in a way of cloaking what is evil, We're not laying a blanket over it in a way to pretend like it's not there. Rather, we are disguising it or we are caring about it in a way that forgives. All right? When we're talking about how love covers a multitude of sins, it means that it forgives. This kind of love is gracious and merciful, and it doesn't call for a payment that Christ has already paid for us on the cross. So as we interact with one another, we don't try to remake someone pay that sin over and over and over again. Christ has paid for it at the cross. As well, this kind of love is practical. It's not just talked about, but rather it is active. It is active. 
Peter informs the churches that there are two main ways of using their gifts that God has given to them as sons and daughters. The first is to teach the truth, and the second is in service based on the truth. Now, regardless of whether you are called or gifted with teaching and preaching the wisdom of, and knowledge that is found in God's Word, or whether you are expected to serve in the areas of, uh, of prayer or administration or uh, compassion ministry, just to name a few, we know and we can see that although we are one body, baptized in one spirit under one headship, which is Christ, the spiritual giftedness of the church is multifaceted. Each and every one of you possesses the Holy Spirit and it has been given to us by Christ that guarantees our salvation, but we are also equipped to serve His mission as we've been commissioned into it, right? The gifts of the church are multifaceted. Each church member, therefore, is commanded to be a part of their local body to the degree that their giftedness is being utilized, Their giftedness is being seen so that they can fully glorify God and be a blessing to the people in and around this church. Now, Maranatha, with all that's happening here with our church, as we're getting ready to send a whole group of people over to the Canal Winchester area to plant a new church, if this isn't a prime opportune moment for us to understand this, to not just feel the command or the challenge, but to actually fulfill the challenge, I don't know what is. Because we need to be the church. We need to step up in order to fulfill this call. Even though we don't always do it perfectly. We're not proclaiming our perfection. We only proclaim Christ's perfection. But we can live for him as we show patience to one another, as well as with those who are still outside of the household of faith. There's a responsibility there as as well. We are to arm ourselves with Christ's righteousness while we hope in what he has already accomplished on our behalf. See, Jesus took on flesh and became just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Rather, he perfectly obeyed the Father's will, even to the point of dying in the flesh so that we could be given new life in him. And while we possess that, we are also sojourners in this world, but we are his church. And we need one another. We need one another because it's not easy living as soldiers in a foreign land because standing out and living differently than the world can, we know this, honestly, it will cause us a certain degree of pain and hardship. Now, as Christians, we don't need to go out looking for it, but when it happens, we don't have to be surprised by it. Because our hope is not here, right? Our hope is not here. Rather, he is in heaven, alive, interceding for us as our advocate, living still to this day. So I'll ask, will you remain in the flesh? Or will you live for the one who gives life? Listen to Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples, this is Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Maranatha, let us be people who are known 
to bear the cross of Christ with honor and love. If you would, please pray with me. Father, we're grateful for the promises of the gospel. We're grateful, Lord, that you don't leave us where we are, that you help us and strengthen us and you speak to us through your word as we struggle and fight to face the trials day by day when we see difficulty in this world and we feel so inadequate to meet its needs. Help us, Lord, to recognize that our giftedness is found in you. That we in ourselves do not need to solve problems. Rather, we can turn to you and follow in your will as we accomplish the tasks that are set before us. Help us to be faithful, Lord. We trust you and we love you. I'm so grateful for this church. And I pray that as we continue to grow in understanding how we need one another, how we have been chosen for one another, that we consistently honor you in the way that we worship the way that we interact, and the way that we love and serve each other. Help us, Lord. As I said, we trust you and we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.